Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. Talk some baseball as we head out to the WGK Log Guest Hotline, where we're joined by Brett Boone, host of the Brett Boone Podcast, an Odyssey original featuring the most notable names in MLB and all around sports every week. And Brett, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate your time. We're here in Baltimore, so let's start with the Orioles. Your just thoughts on Corbin Burns of it all, Kyle Bradish, and what do you think of this team heading into the season? I think you know. I think last year was great. They won 101 games. Uh, this late acquisition of Burns is huge. You know, Burns and Woodruff over in Milwaukee have been as good a one-two punch when healthy as, as anybody in baseball, in my opinion. Um, he's been an all-star last three years with the ERA title, I believe, in 2021, just ahead of young pitching staff. I think there's a couple keys for him, you know. Last year it was huge having Bautista at the pen at the end of that mm-hmm. game. I think he ended up winning the Mariano Rivera Award. They went out and got Kimbrell as kind of a stopgap until Bautista comes back in 2025. So I think it's essential they added something. Bringing in Burns late, I don't know that anybody saw that, but I I think it's a huge move for for a team that won the division a year ago, got a lot of experience with a young roster. Bringing a guy like Burns on on board to to head that, you know, be that number one in that rotation, I think is great. I think Johnny Means, I think this is a big year for him. Can he be what we once thought was going to be a perennial Cy Young Award winner? Um, last year, they're fifth in, fifth in ERA. Um, I'm, I'm looking at a lot of things. I think the ballpark changes. You know, Everybody talks about Camden Yards. I played there for years and years, a great place to hit. All of a sudden, they make that fifth <laughs> the way it is now. I'll tell you, the only thing I can really compare it to during my playing days is my pitching staff when we had to go to Colorado and how they started thinking about it two weeks in advance. I think with moving the wall to what I think as a hitter is a ridiculous spot, the gap there, or, or even straight away left field. But I'm telling you, hitters start thinking about, oh, we're going to Baltimore, oh, that big left field. They start thinking about it in advance. And I think it's somewhat of a home field advantage. The guys that hit there on a daily basis, you kind of have to come to grips with it early, like that's the way it is. We're going to play 81 games here. But I think overall it, it poses a, a real um, home field advantage for them. I love this team. I love the, the youth. Uh, and even below the big league team, that minor league that minor league development system, I think you're ranked recently number one in the minor leagues. Uh, with all this young talent that's in the big leagues, I think Mullins, uh, is a huge key. He can he come back be that thirty thirty guy that he was two years ago. I see nothing but positive things for this for this Orioles organization as a whole going forward. It's going to be exciting to to watch. And with the with the even schedule now, you don't have to beat up on each other in that AL East, which is such a tough division. But uh, it's going to be a tough division. I don't think. Uh, it, it's going to be an uphill battle for Baltimore this year. I think the Yankees got better. I think. Toronto's is very good. I think they had a disappointing year for them uh, with their expectations last year. And then that's the Tampa Bay wild card that I have no idea how they do it year in and year out, but they're always there at the end. So it's going to be a tough division, but I really like the future for this Baltimore team, especially so many years uh, 
uh, being the doormat in that division. All of a sudden, win 101 games with this young youth movement, it seems like. It seems like Brandon Hyde's got him going in the right direction. It's exciting for, for the city of Baltimore. Well, Brett, there might be a little bias with your brother being the uh, manager of the Yankees, but would you consider the Orioles the favorite in the AL East? Uh, I don't, I don't know if I consider them the favorite. Um, the the thing with the Yankees is, and, and I've kept a special eye on it since my brother's taken over there, but their whole thing is health. I mean, it seems like every year they're just hurt, mm-hmm. hurt, hurt. You know, I look at him a year ago. Cole's been the constant, top of the rotation. He won his first Cy Young a year ago. But they got Rodon, who was an all-star in 22 and 23, Cy Young candidate. He comes over there and posts a 7 ERA last year. Nobody expected that. Nestor Cortez was beat up. Schmidt kind of logged a lot of innings. They didn't plan on having him. There's a few guys that have moved on. Herman uh, Severino has moved on. You brought in Stroman. When I first saw that deal, I thought, all right, do I like the deal? Well, it depends what the, what the figures are. I saw a two-year in today's economics. Two years, $38 million, I believe, Stroman got. I, I think he fits in great. I think he's a guy that's obviously no one – it seems like every year he goes out and competes, does well, and he's always looking for a job. Uh, but at two years, $38 million to put him in the three-hole, I think that's pretty good. Obviously, you're looking at the offensive side. Judge and Soto could be the best two in the game if healthy. Soto's in a walk year. He's got everything to gain this year. Uh, he's got a veteran team around him, and and it's all going to depend. Vertigo, I think, is an, uh, an underrated sign in left field. With all the fanfare that came with Soto, everybody forgot about Verdugo coming over from Boston. I think that's a big upgrade for them. How is Rizzo getting older? Is he past that point, or can he come back strong? Giancarlo Stanton, can he still be in the force in the middle of that lineup? Big disappointment last year for him. They still got that power bullpen. Uh, I think the Yankees are going to be tough. I really was trying, before I came on today, I was looking at this division. I really can't pick a favorite. I mean, you got to respect Baltimore, what they did a year ago, but the Yankees healthy on paper, to me, just as good as Baltimore. And the Yankees have that ability, if they're in the mix, if they're looking like a playoff team at the trading deadline, they can go out and get not, not per se Verlander, but a Verlander-type pitcher in the pinch. The Yankees have that, that capacity uh, with their economic situation. So moving to Toronto, great rotation. Gossman, Berrios, Bassett, Kikuchi, uh, Romano is the, is the closer for them. They're great. That offense was underachieving last year, but you still got Vladimir Bichette and Springer. Uh, it's going to be a tough division. And then Tampa Bay. Who would ever think Tampa Bay would have a chance? Wander Franco being gone. McClanahan, the Cy Young favorite when he got hurt last year and glass now going to the Dodgers. But, I, but what they've done year in and year out, I have to put them in the mix and yeah. say, I don't know what Tampa Bay does down there. I don't want they, they put in the water in a serious tone. I think Kevin cash and that organization have just come up with some formula and a culture that when new players show up, it seems like new players are showing up on a yearly basis. It's basically like, hey, all we do here is win and go to the postseason, no matter what the budget is, no matter all the economic things that surround the Tampa Bay race, they find a way year in and year out, so I'll never count them out. So as far as the Orioles being the favorite, long, short version, I don't think they're the favorite, but I look at this division, and right now I just don't have a favorite. I think they're all pretty much equally uh, equally matched, and it's going to see who stays healthy, and who lives up to their potential to see who's going to win that division. 
Brett, there there certainly seems to be a lot of talent still out there on the free agent market. I just kind of wondered what what you make of that development. Is it really kind of just the 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 tangential effect of one agent, Scott Boris, representing the four main guys, and so there's a trickle down effect to the you know Duvals and these guys because they're waiting to see what Bellinger gets. Is that kind of what's what's holding it up? Do you think this the collapse of some of these RSN regional sport network models have something to do with it? I think I think it's a combination. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Scott Boris. It seems like how many times have we had this conversation? At this point, in this, you know, this point, right at the deadline, always pushing the needle. And it's like, oh, this is the end of Scott Boris. But <laughs> he's found a way to, to time it, you know, time and time again, come out on top. He's Scott Boris for a reason. I think I'd be hard-pressed if I was in my heyday right now and, and an all-star type player not to have him represented me. He's been that great and, and has, has got a great deal for so many guys. That's why he's the number one guy in the business. That being said, I think – Scott and what he's what he's famous for is going around the general manager, mm-hmm. finding a way to get into upper management. I think they found a way. What I'm hearing in the agent world now is they found a way to kind of block Scott from doing the wraparound and going to somebody above and and undercutting the the general managers. They found a way to kind of keep him out. I think that might have a little bit to do with it. Uh, but I look at it. I look at a snout. Look at look at the five guys that he's represented. His A group. And you got Snell and Montgomery. Montgomery a year ago obviously had that great run with the Texas Rangers. They end up winning the World Series. Snell wins the Cy Young and arguably had the greatest last four months that you can possibly have for a pitcher. I'm in San Diego. I watch Snell. I've been watching him for four years. When he's got his good stuff, he brings back memories. He's Randy Johnson. He's got that good of stuff. But I think he won the Cy Young there. He won the Cy Young in Tampa Bay. And what he did in between, I think organizations are are really – kind of shy about, wait a minute, do we trust him? Is it going to be the Cy Young Snell or that third starter Snell? And when you're talking $200 million, they're going to be hesitant. Montgomery, I think he's just a victim of Scott Boris waiting to sign Snell and set the market before Montgomery before Montgomery signs. I think that's what he's suffering from right now. You go to Bellinger, who's, who's probably the top athlete yeah. on the board right now. Bellinger, same thing. He's the most valuable player a few years ago in Los Angeles. Then he hits 194 and 210, and now all of a sudden he's comeback player of the year. Well, if I'm handing out $200 million, I've got to take that into consideration. He's probably the best athlete in Major League Baseball. He plays center, he plays first, he runs the bases. He's dynamic when he's right, but I know I got to need to know what I'm getting. For the right deal, I'll take Bellinger all day long, but for $200 million, I, like a lot of organizations, they're going to pass on that. And then you go down to a Chapman. Um, uh, Matt Chapman, great gold gloves, third baseman, platinum glove, third baseman. But year in and year out, 755, 757, 716 OPS, it's 240, 220. Yeah. He's going to hit you 20 homers, but how much money are you going to give him? That's that's my thing. And then for me, J.D. Martinez, who's a consummate pro, he's 35 years old. Uh, I, I think he's one of those guys that in the cl- what he does on the field, and he still can hit, obviously he drove in 103 runs a year ago. He brings more than that to an organization. He brings that veteran presence. He's so astute when it comes to hitting. He studies the game. I think he can help the people around him a lot. Somebody's going to get a good deal. They're probably going to get a one-year deal with a J.D. Martinez. But, yeah, as a player right now, if I'm sitting there, my bu- I'm watching SportsCenter every day. I'm watching my guys out on the field. 
I'm chomping at the bit right now going, Scott, get it going. So we'll see. Brett Boone, this was great. Thank you so much for your time. You got it, guys. Thank Thank you. you. That was Brett Boone, host of the Brett Boone Podcast and Odyssey Original. Make sure to follow the Brett Boone Podcast on the Odyssey app or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Coming up next, Corbin Burns has won a Cy Young, but has he developed a new pitch, a pitch that could make him even more dangerous to major league hitters? We'll discuss next here on The Fan. Inside Access. Before, I was trying to really make sure I got behind it and, th- and try to throw a four-seam fastball, um, which was unnatural from, from what I was doing. So when I finally just told myself to quit trying to do that. Hey, everyone. Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us, and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. Quit trying to be the you know the, the guy that all these pitchers are and throw these four seam fastballs at the top of the zone. I'm just gonna do what I what I know how I can do. Grab a four seam and throw it as hard as I can, and it, it has the cut to it. So get questions about it all the time, like how do I throw it like that? How do I throw it so hard? And for me, in my mind, it's just my four seam fastball and the way my hand you know presents on the baseball when it comes through the uh, my arm motion um, just comes just just enough on the side of the ball to, to make it have that cutting action. Corbin Burns, and he seems to know what he's doing on the mound. He's finished top eight in Cy Young voting each of the last four years, including winning the Cy Young in 2021. He has struck out over 200 bat- 200 or more batters each of the last three years. And now he has, what did, what did Jacob Calvin Meyer call it, the death pitch? The death ball? Or death. The, yeah, the, the secondary curveball. Yeah. Well, look, he, his cutter, I mean, StatCast would tell you it's the best cutter in baseball over the last few years. Um he throws it over 50% of the time, and, and he um, gets a ton of success with it and gets a lot of weak contact and swing and miss, and he uses it early and often to get ahead in the count. And the thing I love about him, though, is he's he's a pitcher, he's not a thrower, and he has multiple put-away pitches that he can utilize off of that, um, including a slider and a curve. And now if he's got a second variation of his curveball that apparently breaks differently, maybe not as loopy, and is thrown um, six, seven miles an hour higher than the curve. So thrown almost, you know, mid-80s like a slider, but with a curveball action, not really a a, a slider break. I mean, if he does have something else in his arsenal, and it's really early, and we'll see how much he likes it and how much he sticks with it. But the last thing he needs is another another weapon. weapon. Yeah. Um, But it's it's a testament, right, to sort of his growth mindset and – um, how he handles his business that after all the success he's had, he's still looking for other ways to make his arsenal even more impactful. Yeah, it's about not being complacent. Uh, just because you want to Cy Young, like you can still take your game to another level. And just looking at his numbers from his curveball last year, guys, I mean, they're ridiculous. Yeah. A 209 slugging against it, 49% whiff rate, 53.1% K percentage. I mean, just ridiculous stuff. So if he can find a way to augment an already really strong pitch in his repertoire, I mean, that's just going to make him that much more tough to hit.
You know, it's interesting. When pitchers used to come over from the National League to the American League, and Tim, you probably can't speak on this because you, you don't remember. Yeah, it predates him. Yeah, but like when the National League, the pitchers batted, and they're usually the guy who batted eighth was some slappy yep. who did, couldn't hit at all. Like So there was an adjustment period to pitch in the American League. That has changed now. Even before the National League went, full DH, DH, they still weren't having that. There weren't many teams having that slappy bat in eighth. So, like, I don't know if the adjustment is as pronounced as at all, really, for Corbin Burns he comes the American League. I feel like, too, there was more of a discrepancy in the style of ballpark and the style of play, and you had more power in the American League, and I think you had even more of the artificial tracks and some of the larger sure. power alleys yeah. where you'd play double ball all day, just slapping it into a power alley and letting that ball roll on the AstroTurf. And it was more of a of a speed game in the in the National League, and also a lot of the catchers couldn't really hit a lick either. Yeah. So you got a pitcher, you got a, like a second baseman, and a catcher who all really yeah bottom third can't of the hit, lineup yeah. plus the pitchers hitting yeah that's that's a lot. Um, I don't expect this to be any sort of issue for Corbin Burns. Um, I know that his division was middling there in the NL Central, but. I think he's going to fit in just fine in the AL East. Well, his numbers uh, career-wise in the American League are fantastic. I wish I had him up right now. But, I mean, his numbers over his career kind of bared it out that I don't think it's going to be a tough adjustment. And he's a model of consistency, too. Like, he, the, the, the innings pitch, the strikeouts. Yeah. The, like, he's, he's, he's almost, you hate to say it, but he's almost a machine. Yeah, but I, I mean, again, that that's why I think it's a trade you make twenty times out of twenty. Yeah. Like it, when we can't predict the future, the best thing we can do is use like past production and results and availability and durability to project. And he has so much that is um, that projects to things that we just haven't seen around here in a long time. Like a guy who throws two hundred innings and maybe strikes out two hundred and twenty-five guys, like. That's a Corbin Burns normal season. That's not normal for Orioles pitching. I just found the numbers. 27 games against American League, 12 and 2, 256 ERA, 0.88 whip, 178 batting average against him, 172 or yeah, 178 Ks and 151 and a third. He's an absolute monster. It's great to have him in orange and black. Coming up next, we switch to the purple and black, and Jonas Schaefer covers the Ravens for the Baltimore Banner. We'll ask him his thoughts on Justin Matabike, the windows open to tag players. What what about Zay Flowers, the fallout from this situation, and also the guys that weren't signed. Uh, we'll get his thoughts on everything, including a great piece he wrote on Rashad Bateman. That's next here on The Fan. Inside Access. The window is open for teams to slap a franchise tag on a player. Plus, the Ravens uh, are figuring out what's going on with their wide receiver charges. Uh, the, the case has been closed, but it's suspended based on new information. Perfect time to add up to the WGK Law Guest Hotline. Talk to our friend Jonas Schaefer, covers the Ravens for the Baltimore Banner. And Jonas, good afternoon. Thanks, as always, for joining us. We have a poll up right now. It's got 526 votes, and it's 50-50 at the moment. So Baltimore County Police announced they're not charging Zay Flowers regarding domestic allegations while the NFL is still investigating can impose discipline via the personal conduct policy without charges given. Given that, should the Ravens alter their preparations at wide receiver this offseason because a possible suspension could be coming? If you were the Ravens, would you be altering your preparations? Man, based on like what I've heard just from the NFL, from the Ravens, from some people who know stuff, I would operate under the assumption that all would be 
good was they, you know, as I don't, I don't want to say disappointing, but as incongruous as that seems with what the NFL has, you know, said they're trying to do to step up their enforcement of alleged domestic violence crimes and with the Ravens own zero tolerance policy, but you know, they've, they've been willing to, to bend that, you know, that, that, that concept, that, mm-hmm. that policy, whatever you want to call it to, you know, have certain players play on, uh, but just, you know, I don't know what powers to phrase it. It's, it's not ironclad. They've, they've shown that they're, <laughs> they're flexible with it. So even though, you know, the NFL, you know, as Jason has said, and as you, as you guys have said, that there is that ability to punish players who might escape the long arm of law enforcement. Um, it just seems like right now all the winds are blowing in such a way that the Ravens <clears throat> don't really have to worry all that much about what, you know, Zay's week one future is, much less his, you know, contractual future in Baltimore is. Well, Jonas, uh, let's get to your piece on Rashad Bateman. And there are always, each week, analytics showing how open Rashad Bateman gets every single week. You went back and looked at every single route that he ran. Why did that separation not equal production? It's it's a multifaceted situation, you know. Uh, I think the biggest thing, one of the takeaways that I highlighted was just you know, fantasy pros uh, does a good job of kind of breaking down how often our guys being looked at. And when Rashad Bateman was out there, you know, he played every game uh, with, with Amar, uh, I think, except maybe one. Um, and, you know, his first read share, which basically shows how much of a focus he is for Lamar, for Todd Munkin, for that offense, suggested that he was, you know, wide receiver three or target four. He, he just was not a focus of that offense. You know, a lot of times he's, that X receiver and, you know, Lamar is reading the, uh, the strong side, the play side formation, uh, you know, the play side of that formation, which means he's not often getting to that second or third read all the way across the other side of the field, um, which is disappointing because Rashad Bateman was open a whole heck of a lot, you know, running good routes. Um, and, and, you know, the times when, when he was getting open, he just was not getting dealt accurate balls. You know, him and Odell Beckham Jr. surprisingly had like two of the worst you know, on target rates when being targeted of any quarterback, excuse me, of any wide receiver in the league on deep shots, which, you know, kind of makes sense when you look at just how rarely, uh, you know, Rashad Bateman got a catchable ball uh, on, on those downfield shots that, that he was running. So I'm hopeful that, you know, with another year, with a hopefully a healthy offseason for Lamar and Rashad, those guys can get on the same page because I do think they have electric potential just, never really seemed to go, seemed to come together in 2023. Uh, Is there any part of you that wonders three years into this? And I know that they've missed time, especially in the offseason, right? Because COVID and injuries and them seemingly not being both fully able to practice um, at the same time as much as you would like. But is there any part of you that does wonder um, – you know, we're three years in. He's got a quarterback rating of 69 thrown to this guy and twice as many interceptions as touchdowns. Like if maybe it's just not going to happen. You know what I mean? Like the trust factor or whatever. Like they're they're just kind of two ships passing in the night. Yeah, I mean, you do wonder. And, you know, out of kind of morbid curiosity, uh, after I did all the research, Jason, I, you know, I kind of went and looked at just, you know, kind of a YouTube cut up of, of Justin Jefferson, uh, you know, <laughs> Like how open does someone like Justin Jefferson get? And mm-hmm. what does that openness look like? And it didn't look, didn't look too differently from, from what Rashad's doing, frankly. Wow. I mean, obviously they're kind of different running styles, 
different different route running styles. Uh, Justin Jefferson's more in the slot than, than Rashad, which you know obviously has been a, a nice feature of that Vikings offense. But uh, they're built the same. You know, Rashad is six foot, has a, a nice mm-hmm. wingspan. I think he's got a more of a wingspan than, than Jamar Chase, and those guys are you know have, have similar height. So I can see why you know. You know, if, if you are a holder of fantasy of a Rashad Bateman fantasy football stock, you might want to see him end up somewhere else. But I just think that you know, if he does end up with with someone new, um, sure that there is that clean slate. But you're also talking about dropping him in to an offense where he's you know going to have to learn the playbook, going to have to develop new chemistry with an entirely new quarterback, entirely new you know wide receiver room. So. I think just all things considered, it's probably best that he sticks it out in Baltimore. And even though I imagine he won't get that fifth-year option picked up, Mm-mm. hopefully he can have a, a nice you know, fourth year in Baltimore and either earn himself a nice contract with the Ravens or someone else, because I do think he has you know, really high-end potential in the NFL. We're talking to Jonas Shavert's Inside Access here on The Fan. Jonas, the window has opened for teams to put a franchise tag on a player, and the Ravens never rush into putting a franchise tag on anyone. They didn't last year with uh, Lamar Jackson, but can you see any scenario where the, they they don't, at the very least, tag Justin Matabike? It's really hard to imagine. Just, you know, I think what's interesting about where the Ravens roster is headed in general and this, this might be something that is prohibitive in a way is that like, we're kind of headed toward a stars and scrubs type approach to this roster. You know, like Lamar got the big deal. Roquan got the big deal. Uh, Marlon Humphrey and Ronnie are on big deals uh, for the time being. Yeah. Uh, you know, next year it could be Tyler Linderbaum and Kyle Hamilton who get top of the market for their position deals. And that puts you into a, a bit of a situation like what we saw with the, with the Rams. And obviously they were, uh, they were acquiring established players as opposed to developing them with their FM picks philosophy. But, you know, you do wonder, is this a direction that Eric Costa is, is comfortable in where you don't have the kind of money to give, you know, five, $6 million a year to a Patrick McCarry or, uh, you know, a Chuck Clark like back in the day. So I still think you can't afford to lose someone who is just entering his athletic prime, like just Matt BK and coming off, just a historic season in terms of where he stacks up among Ravens defensive alignment uh, in general, but that that is something to consider. You know, where does this, where would a deal, even if it's just a one-year deal for Justin Matabike, fit in the wider roster building approach of this front office? Well, Jonas Eric DaCosta's got to make a decision come May on the fifth-year option, going back to Rashad Bateman, but also Adafi Owe. Do you see him picking up either of those options? I just think that, you know, in line with the other guys that they're going to have to pay and are paying right now, it's a little bit tough to, to see. I think, you know, if this were a situation where the the sack numbers for Adafi lined up more closely with that pressure rate and that win rate, then I would probably be leaning toward yes. But just with, with the injury history that he has, um, you know, with, with, the, with the overall lack of production, I mean, I, I don't know if any pass rusher has ever been you know, had that fifth year option exercise with as few sacks over the first three seasons as Adafi has. And, you know, I, I think he could be a guy who could be an eight to 10 sack a year type dude, but it just hasn't happened yet. I, I really like the strides that he made under Chuck Smith, but considering what else is out there and considering, you know, maybe some of the guys they might look to draft in this first or second round coming up in, in a couple months time, it to me is not looking likely like a little exercise, a fifth year option for, for Adafi. 
We're going to talk about this a little more at length on tomorrow's show, Jonas, but wanted to get your take on it. Um, we just sort of, I've identified the ongoing, some of the wide receiver issues here and just not really getting the most out of guys for whatever reason. Is there any part of you that thinks, okay, well, maybe they do lean into more 12 and 13 next year and the fullback's probably not going anywhere? And would it make sense to add an, a legitimate, proven, every-down running back, especially with Keaton Mitchell's future and so much sort of doubt as to when he could come back fully from that injury, whether it's a Josh Jacobs or a Saquon Barkley or a Chubb if he's a cap casualty or a Derrick Henry? Any of that wet your whistle? Not really. I yeah. mean, I, I I always, when I think of how Eric Acosta likes to approach the running back position, he calls, he, he lumps running backs in with, with this greyhound type of, you know, position where you just, the, the, the wear and tear and the burn rate on these guys is so high. And, you know, yes, it, it's very cool to, to fantasize about what Derrick Henry would look like next to Lamar Jackson, but to pay him $10 million a year when you have so many other needs and, you know, Lamar is the ultimate PED for, for running back. Yeah. It just, it, it's really tough to imagine. And, you know, it, it's funny that you guys bring that up because we, we brought up, or I brought up uh, yesterday with, with Matt Miller on, uh, on the uh, ESPN teleconference for, for the draft, like whether he sees value in the Ravens with them, you know, kind of revamping their running back room, investing, more capital in the free agency class or in the draft class. And he basically said, why not both? You know, why not take a, a gamble on a guy who's a free agent while also looking for, you know, a Braylon Allen or, a, you know, a, you know, whoever it is in the third or fourth round that you can get and maybe have them be a, a day one, you know, RB1 or RB2. But I, I'm just inclined because of the success we've seen of the, from the Gus Edwards of the world, the Pete Mitchells of the world to just, and as little as you can at that running back position, mm-hmm. invest in those in those rookie contracts, and hope it pays off. Jonas Schaefer covers the Ravens for the Baltimore Banner. Always great, Jonas. Thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks Thank a lot. you. Hey, coming up next, we want to hear from the people. 410-583-1057. Your thoughts on this whole Zay Flowers situation. Are you preparing for a suspension, or do you think the Ravens are cool to operate business as usual? We'll keep you updated, or we'll get you updated on the poll, but we want to hear from the people. Give us a call, 410-583-1057, the WGK Law guest, and call our hotline. We'll hear from you next here on The Fan. Inside Access. A lot of these issues, I think that we learned a few years ago that categorically you have to look at them. To say character is a, is a pretty big pot. I think you know that there are some people that we're going to take off our board that do real well in the league, and that's just the way it goes. So categorically, yeah, domestic abuse, not taking them. That's Steve Bashotti post Ray Rice and his feelings on domestic abuse. And, and obviously, he, uh, he, they had a zero tolerance policy at that point, not going to take anybody with domestic issues. He mentioned later in an interview with James Brown around that same period that Tyreek, Tyreek Hill was not going to be drafted by the Ravens. He helped the Chiefs get to the Super Bowl that year, but he had a history of domestic issues, so he was not going to be drafted. We bring that up in light of the Zay Flowers situation. The Baltimore County Police announced yesterday that 
that the investigation is closed, but it is suspended pending new information. So he will not be charged. But as we know, the NFL will still do their investigation. So we do have a poll question today. We do. Baltimore County Police announced they're not charging Zay Flowers regarding domestic violence allegations while the NFL is still investigating and can impose discipline via the personal conduct policy without charges filed. Given that, should the Ravens alter their preparations at wide receiver this offseason? <laughs> Almost 50-50. Over 500 votes. IA 105.7 The Fans, how you can vote on Twitter. 50.1% brace for a suspension. 49.9% proceed as normal. Wow. And we want to hear from people. 410-583-1057 if you have any thoughts on the matter. Yeah, I mean, look, ultimately, the reality when it comes to NFL discipline is you, you're trying to crawl into sort of Roger Goodell's headspace. Um, and is this league really trying to combat domestic violence? I don't think so. I think this league is in the business of trying to make as much money as they can and to, quote, you know, use a term that's thrown a lot around a lot, protect the shield and do things that they think will play well in the court of optics and PR. And they don't want to get caught in a situation where it makes them look like they were enabling some sort of behavior that maybe can't be proven in a court of law, but doesn't pass Goodell's sniff test. So that's a long-winded way of saying my personal take on this is if the league security arm and Roger Goodell and football operations think that there is a chance that evidence exists on this young lady's phone that would point towards uh, physical violence. And there are claims of physical violence, even though she has decided not to cooperate moving forward. And there is in the police report um, a statement from one of the Acton, Massachusetts policemen saying that he saw visible evidence If they think that's something that's going to come to light at some point, that that's going to show up on social media channels or on TMZ or whatever, then in their sort of quest to look like they weren't caught unsuspected or that they weren't part of a wink-wink, let's just let him play and see what happens, personally... My 20 years covering this league, I wouldn't be shocked if there was some discipline forthcoming. Um, But again, as to what actually happened there, I'm not sure we'll ever know. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I did talk to a defense attorney friend today, and again, that's he's talking about the law, not what the NFL is going to look at. And his reaction, because I said, "Put, put me in your shoes if you were representing Zay Flowers. What are you seeing here? And he said, frankly, there's a lot of holes in this story. He said, number one, she has a cell phone on her. She can contact police immediately. And there was a hang-up call, and then she they called her back, and she said she was fine. But if she was in real danger, as an attorney, I'd be asking why she waited five days and going to another state to, to, to go to the police. If she had injuries, why didn't she show them to the police? If she had pictures of said injuries, why didn't she show them to the police? For the defense attorney, there were a lot of alarm bells going off in, in his head about this whole story. And you're right. If there is evidence, picture evidence that could come out later, that changes the whole narrative. But based on all we have right now, it's it's a story that she has since re, uh, recanted on. And 
there allegedly are pictures. That's what she told the Acton police. But, but she wouldn't she, show them to him. Exactly. Her father confirmed the bruises, but she did not show the pictures. But, yeah, I mean, if she's not going to come forward with the law enforcement for whatever reason, then this isn't going to go anywhere. But, I mean why she isn't coming forward that's very open-ended it could be fear it could be a lot of things it, well quite frankly it could be because it's not true and i'm not saying it's not true Pause. but that is a, that is a theory on why she wouldn't come forward i'm not trying to be a jerk here but there is evidence of famous people that that when we talked about this a week uh what it was a week and i'm not saying it's not true but that is a theory on why she wouldn't say anything or show anything I mean, that's a th- we it's could throw a whole bunch possible, of different reasons out there. But I'm not. But but but, but no, I just wanted to play the other side. He said, "Well, it could be fear. It could be anything." Well, the other side of that yeah. is the opposite of fear. Uh, absolutely, but I mean, there's a couple things in this police report that give me. I mean, pause. everyone's going to read that police report and make their own determination. Yes, I read the police report. I feel like there's something something happened. happened. I don't know the extent of it. I don't know the full scope of it. I think the league, through this way and that way, and the things they do, will probably get a handle on it. And if again, if they think this is a potential future issue for them in the court of public opinion, I think they may throw something at Zay Flowers now. Um, I don't think we'll learn anything about this until very close to the season starts, if at all. Uh, And if I'm the Baltimore Ravens, I'll say this. I'm a little worried about judgment let's just put it that way this is this is this is far from ideal this is a situation that in the future you've got to hope that this young man uh finds a way of of keeping far afoot from and we haven't mentioned this yet it was in the police report and i find it alarming uh that police wrote that they also called a ravens vice president of security but they he was out of town and would call them when he returns that's He's busy. That is puzzling. Well, and there's also going to be, eventually, I would think, more we might learn about exactly what the Ravens knew when, especially if there is any discipline from the league and there is a report written on this. Um, What did the Ravens know? When did they know it? And, you know. You, you, this player was available to play a football. Was available to play a football. Two game. football games. Yeah. Two, right? Yeah, he was. This happened. But on the based 16th. on, I guess when it yeah. when they knew, they certainly knew for sure. By yes, the, I think you'd have a heart. We were here. Like, I'd, I'd be absolutely flummoxed and shocked if they didn't know about it before the Chiefs game. It's almost oh, impossible absolutely. to imagine yeah, that. And maybe the Texans game well, too. It depends how long the guy was out of town. Yeah. You want to grab a call real quick? Sure. Let's go to John in Pasadena. John, you're on the fan. Yeah, just on the whole Zay Flowers thing, with the way Roger Goodell's been in the past, they should definitely prepare for some sort of suspension. Just look at Ezekiel Elliott. Their own investigator said the woman wasn't credible, and Roger Goodell suspended him. Yeah, I, I, yeah, you're right. Appreciate the call. I brought that up last week. The, the, the woman who they hired to interview the woman came back and said, this woman's not credible, and they suspended him anyway. <laughs> Yeah, again, I think this is ultimately about them doing things that they can go to their sponsors and brag about. And uh, they, and and again, what do they think is going to ultimately come to light? The whole, but just go back to the Ray Rice thing. Everybody was sort of poo-pooing that, and then a the video, video came, came out, out, and the whole damn league changed in a second. I don't know what exists or doesn't exist here, 
But if there are photos and there's metadata that would link those photos to being taken at a time right around this 911 call, that's not the kind of thing that the league is going to like to find out after the fact. And then there also is the element as well, if slash when they talk to Zay Flowers, I can't imagine they wouldn't want to. Like how forthcoming is Zay Flowers with them? Because that's another big thing with Roger Goodell. We will keep you up to date on this story. If anything breaks, we will let you know. But coming up next, back to baseball. And with the injuries in the starting rotation, it sounds like Tyler Wells is going back in the starting rotation. And is he a bullpen armor starter? And is this another season where he could be going back and forth? And is that good for Tyler Wells? We'll discuss next year on The Fan. Inside Access on The Fan. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 